Welcome to From PGR to Where, the podcast about the messiness and reality of careers, the highs and lows, the things that didn't go quite right, and the things that went really well, what we learned on these journeys, and what we would do differently. In this podcast, we focus on careers outside of academia or outside the traditional academic routes, helping to highlight the many ways you can go after your PhD. We will also speak to people who have taken those more academic routes to get their reflections. We're all about building confidence, having conversations with interesting people, and hopefully inspiring others to think differently about their next steps. So in this podcast, we want to have honest, frank conversations with people about their careers. To help those just starting out, thinking of a career change. Our guests will be offering advice and tips, but most importantly, encouragement and reassurances that for many, the reality isn't very straightforward or as planned as it looks. So do join me, Gareth Young, and me, Esther Allen, as we talk to friends, colleagues, and people who've inspired us to get a little peek into the real work behind building a career. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we've enjoyed recording. In this episode, we're speaking to Professor Kate Reid, who is Professor of Sociology at the University of Sheffield. Kate joined the department in 2004 as a lecturer in medical sociology and conducted her undergraduate degrees at Liverpool, Lancaster and Southampton. After completing her PhD in 2000, Kate secured a lectureship in sociology at the University of Kent. Kate's research focused on two key areas, reproductive health and the impact of novel technological application in medicine. Kate has an impressive track record of publications, including four books, and has secured funding from many organisations to undertake research with a real focus on policy and practice, and in 2009 was awarded the Outstanding Societal Impact Award in the ESRC Celebrating Impact Prize for her research into infant postmortems. Today, Kate and I take a look back at her career, what inspired her to study sociology, and we reflect on her experiences as a female academic and balancing the pressures of work and family life. In Kate's words, her career hasn't always been plain sailing, and we reflect on some of the highs and the lows. We chat about the importance of talking and listening to people, building networks, and how valuable even the most modest impacts can be. Kate is an utterly fabulous academic and is incredibly inspiring. I'm delighted we got the chance to have this conversation as our opening podcast to this series, and we really hope you enjoy. Oh, just to say, we're obviously recording this from our own homes, so in a couple of places, the recording does have some small glitches, but please bear with us. The rest of the conversation makes up for it. Welcome to the first episode of From PGR to Where, Kate. So this, as I say, the first one we've done, so we'll try it, see how it goes. Um, but really what we're trying to do with this podcast is just open up the conversations and, and be a bit more frank about careers, both in and out of academia. Um, but just to, you know, it's, I think it's quite easy to look at people who have these titles of doctor and professor and all that sort of thing and go, they've got it sorted, they've got the careers, they know what they're doing and happy days. And I think, you know, it is a lot messier than that in reality. And the journeys there are very different. And I think, you know, you can't not talk about the context we're in with the global pandemic, just adding an extra layer of stress that I think everyone's going through at the moment. So, you know, when you think about even just conducting your research, feeling more isolated to the PhD experience um, than it can sometimes be, you know, because we're working from home. Um, and I guess that kind of uncertainty of the, the job market going forward. So I think now's a really nice time to just start having these conversations about how people have got to where they've got to and uh, yeah some of the highs and the lows so I guess if we just go back to the start Kate did, did you always know you wanted to do a PhD? 
Well, I guess um, when I was um, sort of quite young, when I was a teenager, I was kind of very much very interested in social issues. I was quite political. And when I started to, when I chose A-levels, I, I was fortunate to be able to choose to do an A-level in sociology. And I just absolutely loved it. I thought it was the best thing. It's just, it kind of spoke to me in ways that nothing else did. And I was just completely obsessed. But I just, just you know, I was just very fascinated by it. And um during that time, I was I was reading a lot of sociology, but I was also reading a lot of feminist literature as well. And right. as, as I was doing the, the A-level, I read um, a biography by a, a sociologist who, she's written a lot of quite personal um, texts about, about her own experiences as a mother and, and as, a, as a feminist sociologist. But um, a book by Anne Oakley called Taking It Like a Woman, it's a biography. And I and it was actually, you know, a lot of her work has, has, has gone over to the kind of, you know, she had one of her books was turned into a, a TV programme as well, actually. Um, but um, anyway, but that kind of really spoke to me. It talked about her struggle, about kind of, you know, being a feminist and, and being a mum, having children and actually having a career. And yeah. it was really that, that I just sort of decided, not only did I love sociology, but, you know, it gave me the idea, it planted the seed of, of being an academic. Um, so that was probably when I was sort of, you know, 17 or 18. I really thought that's this is something that I could do. So yeah. probably was maybe, I don't know, quite young to be thinking about an academic career. But I certainly, I really like the idea of being an academic. So then I, I went on and studied a, a degree in sociology and, and kind of it developed from there. So you kind of had... You've, you've, I think because I think that's the thing as well, isn't it? I think it's a real mixed bag from the start as to whether you have some sense of where you go. Because I found like sort of seventeen-year-old me didn't have a clue, and I think that's probably partly why we've got slightly different <laughs> um, sort of career paths and journeys. Is that you know it's it's not always it's not always easy to sort of pinpoint where you want to go with it. Which I think is great that you had something that felt passionate and that that you could pursue from the start so you kind of you went to university and started to feed that curiosity around sociology and, and was the aim then to go on and do do a PhD well I mean when I when I did I know I knew I liked studying so um yeah and I was lucky because I did a degree in sociology and I got to do like proper research projects which, which was really exciting when you're some sort of you know 19 20 going out and doing field work and so, yeah. um, you know, I did some research. And I knew I wanted to do more, more kind of to, to learn more sociology in depth. So then I did an MA in sociology. But obviously, even in those days, it was really hard to get any money. So I actually worked part time as an RA while right, I was doing okay. an MA. Um, and then I just, and then I just had to kind of, I needed some time out, out really after that to kind of just sort of plan how to to move forward because. You know, it's, it's actually even then it was really hard to get PhD scholarships and, and you know, to, to kind of, you know, to, to develop a proposal and to get it funded. And I also I knew that it's not something, you know, that, that you know, I needed to have if I was going to do a PhD, I needed it to be funded. I, I couldn't you know support myself. Um, yeah. so I actually just worked for a few years um, and it gave me a bit of and I did some jobs that so I worked in um, for HSBC Bank. And for the alliance, the old alliance in Leicester Building Society. Um, right. Okay. Um, yeah. So I worked there for a couple of years, and they wanted me to go on a on a graduate program because I was actually quite good at the job. It was actually the kind of sort of early days of internet banking, and and that's what I worked on. Um, I think it was good because it, it allowed me to to sort of um, earn some money. Yeah. And it also gave me experience of other types of work. So you know it, it was kind of long enough it wasn't just a really short-term job you know it was I say it was a few years I did that so it gave me a bit of experience of, of actually you know do, doing other things and what it yeah. did it gave me the space to actually think 
yeah, I really do want to do a PhD. I, I don't, I don't want to work in HSBC. I actually want to do a PhD. I want to go back into university. And so I used that time. I used to work, you know, during the day, nine to five, and then at the weekends and in the evenings, I would work on a research proposal. And I would, I um, kind of did a search of universities and found out who was offering scholarships. Um, yeah. I just took that initiative because I knew that's what I wanted to do um, and, and kind of put in an application at the University of Southampton for one of their university scholarships and, and got interviewed and then I, I got the scholarship. So that's that's how it kind of then developed, uh, that, you know, sort of, you know, from then on, that, that's when my kind of career development in academia really kind of started to, yeah, come about really. Yeah, yeah great. It's all to do with the things though and I, and I think actually I always, you know, even though I always think, I've always wanted to be an academic. I know that there's other things I could do, and I'll be perfectly all right doing it. It's kind of, <laughs> and in doing that, having that other research um, sort of work experience helped with that. Yeah, it definitely gives you some perspective, doesn't it, on on what existed. I've I've done the same. So sort of between degrees and studies, I've worked in industry and you know like as an estate agent and things like that. And it does um, it it does just sharpen other sort of skill sets as well. Uh, you know when you're going out and interviewing kind of like years of negotiating so you kind of feel more confident speaking to people in in different situations so I think there's no harm in in not having one come straight after the other and feeling like it has to be I think that's good to have space to reflect isn't it because I think it yeah, means yeah. you you come at things in perhaps a slightly more I don't know I think you knew you wanted to do the PhD, didn't yeah. you? That was the thing. So that kind of really, you've kind of cemented in your own mind that, that this is the right right next step, which I think is... Yeah. Uh... I think the other thing you do as well, because I'd work, because there was a lot of people that just went straight from a degree into PhD then. It wasn't there wasn't such an emphasis on doing an MA. I mean, of course, I'd got an MA. Um, so yeah. Well, but, um, you know, I think because I'd, I'd worked, it also made me just really appreciative of having a studentship. I was just delighted, whereas some other people were a bit more complacent, you know what I mean, because they'd kind of just gone all the way through. And yeah, also, they were more exhausted as well. I think actually just studying for like, you know, three-year degree, then an MA, then a PhD straight through, um, yeah. really quite hard going. So, so yeah, it was definitely a good thing. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, now is probably a good time to talk a little bit about um, some of your research as well, because obviously you do some really interesting stuff and talk about some, you know, you obviously done some research on some really sort of sensitive issues. I know we've been talking before about kind of career highs and lows. So, you know, do you want to talk about some of the the things now for sort of looking back, um, you know, about that kind of roller coaster that has been the career? Yeah, I mean, I guess, um, yeah, so getting my PhD, I was, that was that was a, a real highlight. I, I actually, I love my PhD. I love, love the people that I studied with. I love the people that, you know, the members of staff. And, you know, and, it, and again, it wasn't always easy, actually, because my supervisor left after a year and I had to have a supervisor that, you know, wasn't, didn't work in my area. And, and you know, so I, I, I totally understand them. You know, it's often quite difficult and, and kind of tricky process. But I definitely think that was something that I really enjoyed, the PhD. Yeah. And then, I got a job at the University of Kent as a lecturer straight after my PhD and, and that was a bit of a baptism of fire because I think I'd always thought I want to go straight into a lectureship. Yeah. <laughs> in hindsight, actually, I wish I'd gone into done a postdoc and done some research because you're just straight into lecturing and admin and it's quite a shock. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I can imagine. I haven't got, yeah, I haven't gone from being a, a, you know, kind of a research to, to then doing um to then just sort of teaching all the time um you know it was both rewarding but also um tricky 
Um, so yeah, so that kind of transition, I think, is, is often, you know, it's, yeah, it can, I think that can be quite challenging. Um, but then, as, as you mentioned, I mean, sort of, you know, some of the things that, you know, have been really good about my career, I've always, I mean, I love, absolutely love the research that I do. And I always have the research drives everything else, I think, for me, absolutely. And, and it has done since the PhD. So um, my area is in, is in health. Um, I, and my PhD was around the area of race, ethnicity and health um, and gender. And that focus on gender and health has kind of continued to, to work on reproductive health and more recently uh, to, to baby loss, um, you know, uh, reproductive loss. So, so been a kind of, my research, as I say, it's always roughly been around health issues. And, and I'd say for the last sort of 12 years or so, it's been around reproductive health. And that, that's definitely been something that's been really important to me. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think... You know, it, it drives the, the, the teaching. I've always really enjoyed as well, but my research directly drives all the teaching. And actually, I've always always feel that students, you know, enjoy that much more. They want to know about what you do. They want to know about the research. So that that's definitely always been a kind of sort of you know positive uh, a kind of a highlight of my career. In of terms course. of difficult things, I think is managing <laughs> is balancing everything. And I think any anybody going into an academic career would say the same thing. So it's trying to keep your research going when you're also you're doing might be doing lots of teaching and also lots of administration as well. So that that's, you know, kind of always you know, I think for anybody that's it that's a kind of, you know, sort of balancing act and I'm not sure any of us ever get it right. And I think most people <laughs> want to be doing more research, but but I think that's that's kind of um, something that's sort of challenging yeah yeah um, i can imagine and you know we'll return to some of the the, the highlights and stuff because i think it touches on s- sort of your your perspective on kind of having impact through your work and i think we want to kind of tease that yeah. out a little bit more but while we're at that kind of sort of space of negotiating challenges i, I think everyone's career journeys it, are incredibly different but also you know and I know we've we've talked about this before but you know kind of your your perspective as a as a female academic and navigating some of those challenges as well which we know is you know is is that there are particular issues there I mean are you happy to just talk a little bit about how what what challenges you faced and the things that you've kind of done to overcome that yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, obviously, gender and, and having having children and is is kind of you know, I think it's it's still a challenge with many careers for women, particularly. Yeah. Uh, and I think when I have my children, I mean, the eldest is now fourteen, the younger one is eleven, so it's quite some time ago. But I think when I I had this naive idea that I would just, you know, that it would be all be fine and I'd I'd, I'd have a, I'd pop out a baby and I'd be back at work and doing lots of research and, and it would all you know be quite easy. But actually, that's that's not the reality. It's much more, you know it's much more challenging because you, you're constantly dealing with your kids not you know kids being ill not being able to have, have childcare or whatever and, and and you know it is it is a real kind of you know it's something that's that's much more difficult than, than i think often people talk about yeah but i think all the time that i took my maternity leaves i mean it was it kind of shocked me as well the attitude obviously as i was saying i was a a kind of feminist sociologist and I just assumed everybody was the same that women were but when I had kids I was just shocked by how many people you know the expectations around women still staying at home or being part-time 
Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, that's something that I was just not prepared for, really, was the sort of attitudes around, around having kids. Um, and it's interesting because I've run a few things, events for PhD students sort of recently where, where you know, I know it's an anxiety for a lot of, of young women who are, who are kind of thinking that they might want to have children at some point, but also want to have a career. Um, and as I say, I actually... You know, I mean, I got through it and I've managed to be reasonably successful and, you know, and kind of spend lots of time with my kids still. Because I do think one of the good things about academia, I mean, is, is that you can, I mean, take aside, I'm not talking about during a pandemic. No, no, of course. Actually sort of, you know, being able to work at home a few days a week and, and those sorts of things, I think really help actually with, with you know, sort of having kids. And, and I also think things have improved so much for women as well in the time that you know since I have my kids so maternity leaves are longer maternity benefits are better I think yeah. just general levels of support I mean when I came back um from Matt Lee my then head of department just told me I needed to you know there's no phased return he just gave me an absolutely massive workload <laughs> when I had right a okay yeah yeah which which was really hard going so I think now you know I always try and be really positive about it because I think things are a lot better and I also think, and this is something that I always say as well, is that actually kids make you really productive. So they're quite, you know, they kind of inspire me to, you know, they kind of, you know, they, they ask really interesting questions and, and they make you kind of, you know, they, they yeah, it's a learning experience for, for me as well, having them. And I think that definitely contributes to your kind of development as an academic. So, but it, but it is something that I think often we don't, you know, it's still, there's, there's still elements of that that I think people are kind of fighting to talk about or disclose. Yeah, I can I can imagine, and I know that you know just my experiences of academia and the sort of elements like in sort of urban studies, it's very male dominated still. Mm. And you know, I I'm a man, um, but you know, you don't you you almost don't take into account what that is that is like in that experience, and and it's it, it can be overlooked because you just you know you're not thinking about it. So if you're in a kind of research team or something like that that is headed up by by men who haven't had to negotiate childcare. It it can just be overlooked, but it, I, I can only imagine it's something that is difficult to talk about or um to approach. And I think part of what we want to do through these conversations is just to inspire people to go, don't let that rule out thinking that you can't make it because people have done it and there are people out there that will talk to you and you know approach you know is that something people can do is approach other academics who might have gone through it and say how did you do it yeah I mean I totally agree and so I say I feel very positively about it for all sorts of reasons because I think you know I'm proud the thing that I'm proudest of is my kids actually so I wouldn't change it anyway you know do you know what I mean because you you know it's but um but I also think you know it's not something to be feared it's you know if if that's what you want then you you know you'll you'll make it work anyway you know there's still kind of Actually, you know, and, and like you say, it is difficult sometimes, I think, with some subjects. I mean, I'm lucky because sociology is, is you know, it's kind of dom- it's still quite dominated by women. So you get a lot of female academics in senior positions in the discipline. And, you know, so I feel quite fortunate in that way. Um, yeah. And I think it must be really tough if you're an engineer, for example. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Kind of, you know, computer science or, you know, other kinds of disciplines. So I feel quite, quite fortunate. But. Yeah, I do think, you know, there is much more space now for women. And, and I also feel, 
you know, I, you know, I've worked with a lot of men and, and actually, you know, I have really good relationships and they're very supportive. So I do think things have improved generally as well, um, you know, for, for women. So, you know, I think that's a kind of a sort of positive. Definitely. And I think hopefully, and I've listened to sort of other podcasts that aren't kind of academic podcasts at all. Um, and we can kind of link to that in the, in the podcast notes that might be useful, but you know, really driving for change in the work in sort of nine to five. And I know academia doesn't necessarily fall into that in the way that some other industries might, but I think some things through the pandemic have shown that we can work in, in other ways and that actually it's okay to, to not be at your desk, at your computer nine to five and that, you know, interaction with children and seeing your family is, is actually more, it can make you more productive as a person because you're obviously happier, aren't you? That you feel like at home. It's interesting because I, I I do lots and lots of mentoring now. I, just, I don't people seem to you know kind of it, not just in my own department but across, across actually the faculty of social sciences. I mentor a lot of you know younger staff and um, lecturers and, and quite quite a lot. You know not always male. I'm, I do do both men and you know mentor both men and women. But I've got yeah. a lot of women um, that that kind of want to be want to want me to mentor them. That you know when they're in that sort of position where they where they want kids or they've got small kids and they want to talk through with somebody, you know how to kind of manage those sorts of you know family commitments and relationships and so on. And I think it is really important, you know, to kind of you know that people know that it's. I mean, it's interesting because I collaborate and have collaborated for many years on my research with medics. And if we think that academia is hard, that is <laughs> a whole other level. I mean, so the women that I work with in my research are really very senior, very eminent doctors, but they've had to fight so hard. And even now they're subjected to I mean, some of the things that, that I've heard in, in kind of medical conferences. I just can't believe I'm hearing. It's, it's just, you know, um, <laughs> So yeah. I think, you know, academia actually, is, you know, it's good in that way. I think it's, it's, it's positive. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, well, you've talked on a couple of things there, which I think we should come back to, which is that kind of, you know, who you've worked with and collaborated with. And I know, you know, we mustn't downplay, you, you said something earlier about being quite successful. I mean, I think, you know, you are very successful at what you do. And in 2019 was awarded the Outstanding Societal Impact Award in the ESRC Celebrating Impact Prize for your research into infant postmortems, which, you know, is a really uh, sensitive and important subject. But, you know, that was recognised because of the way that you approach your work and your sort of views and responsibilities as, a, as an academic. And as you say, the research drives everything you, you do. Um, so, you know, do you want to just talk a little bit about that project and, and some of that kind of... What drives you and, and, and that impact? Because I think that's something that PhD students really need to have in their mind as well, that they they can make a difference with the work and it's not that they're ever too early in their journeys to, to be talking to people outside academia to, to really help make a difference. No, absolutely not. I mean, I think the thing is, I think sometimes when we think about impact, you think about big scary things like changing policy or, do you know what I mean, kind of... Yeah, impact. yeah or select committees but actually you can make a massive impact just from doing very small things and and I actually feel um you know that the impact for me is it's, it's driven the whole intellectual project you know of, of it's, it's embedded in in my ideas and my you know my research questions and and so I think you kind of need to you know you need to kind of start it's good to start it you know or kind of embed it in, in, the, in the way of thinking about doing research so 
Yeah. I guess just to kind of backtrack, I mean, as, a, as I say, I'm a qualitative researcher. I'm an ethnographer. So I I think ethnographers basically are just very nosy people who <laughs> like to snoop around on what other people's lives, really. So I've always had an interest in doing research about just finding out what people do, you know, what kinds of work the people do, how do they live their lives, you know, kind of. Yeah. And so that that's that then feeds on to kind of then collaboration and working with, with different, you know, people from different organisations. So in this instance, obviously, we wanted to know, we wanted to talk to parents and also to health professionals about you know, what happens when a baby dies, what kinds of experiences, you know, what kind of processes do, do both parents and professionals go through. And yeah. that automatically then sort of led me on to sort of, you know, it, you know, you just you want to then start talking to people in the NHS and charities and start working with them, getting their ideas. Uh, so it really just, you know, as I say, it was very organic and, and, it, and it kind of it, it just kind of developed from there. Just just wanting to find out. Um, yeah, so I think in terms of, you know, PhD students, it's just really you can start doing or making a difference just by talking to people, you know, talking to respondents, making connections with people in other organisations. And it can be really, really modest. Um, but, yes. but that kind of modest impact can actually lead to massive changes. You know, in our research, just by kind of illuminating and raising the issue of, of, of baby loss actually meant a lot to so many different parents. You know, just, just actually making, you know, just making people more aware of, of, of some of the issues around what happens when a baby dies, what kinds of decisions the parents have to make. You know, yeah. Because a, lot of, a lot of this, you know, you know, when we think about baby loss, you know, often parents would say, you know, they felt like they couldn't talk about it. There's no space, you know, that people will allow them to grieve for a certain period of time, but then they need to, you know, they, you know, they, they kind of feel like they have to sort of try and move on. So just even just raising awareness about something through your research by talking to people, actually, you know, then you can create all sorts of, of, of um, knock-on impact and, and so on. So Yeah, I, but, I think um, that's it, isn't it? I think impact can feel like a thing that you have to say, yeah. You know, it has to be a very tangible thing that's written down somewhere or that, you know, is, as you say, fo the focus on policy or changes and things like that. And and it can, you know, that that's just one of many ways that you have an impact. And I think that there's lots of people that do brilliant research with um, with the general public and, and other people as well. But from my own experience, it's always been a an area that's often overlooked. And I think... Mm -hmm. You know, you're right. Having conversations and changing attitudes and giving people a platform to have a voice or talk about something that they've not what before felt like yeah. something they could talk about is incredibly important. It's incredibly powerful. I mean, it always struck me that, that one parent said to us, actually, she's involved in our, our project um, exhibition. Um, she she said just because just because this is difficult for people, it doesn't mean to say that we don't want to talk about it as parents. Yeah that's the thing that kind of really strikes me so actually the work that I did with that project which which was more about sort of raising awareness and you know we did actually change practices as well and, and you know kind of various other kind of you know made professional changes and so on but but actually some of the most powerful impact was that it was the raising awareness issue yeah um, and I think that always really strikes me is that the comments that we had from parents they were just so glad that we'd actually made this issue pub a public issue or kind of talked about it in public and I think that's that's really important um, yeah, I think, I think you know, PhD students should be, be encouraged in, in that kind of way to not not to think. I mean, obviously, changing policy is, is huge. You know, using your research to, as a platform to change policy or practice that's you know obviously hugely important. But but actually, you can you can make lots of change through very minor, you know, through, you know, very modest means and, and kind of starting early on. And yeah, it doesn't have to be a big kind of massive thing. I think. 
<laughs> no, I think that's it. And I, but I think there can be a real fear, can't there, of um, approaching people, not not just when the, the subject's sensitive, though that is, of course, mm-hmm. obviously layering on a, an extra level of complexity about kind of how, how to do this most sensitively. Um, but actually just sort of saying to someone you know, I've just started this project and this is what I'm kind of interested in, can be a really nice way of getting people to say, well, have you read this? Have you thought about this? Spoken to this other person? And whilst I think you have to have a bit of a long-term goal at whatever stage of your career you are, so that could be, you know, I want to finish my PhD, publish it, and a journal article or something like that. And, uh, you know, a view on what your impact might be. I think then that's good. That sets that sets some parameters for you. But then going out and exploring it and not being afraid of changing some of the focus can be really powerful and rewarding. Absolutely. And I think sometimes, I mean, like I say, like, you know, I've had PhD students that have done ethnographies and then, you know, they've produced a, a really nice report for not just for participants, but when they've done the field work in an organisation, in, in a hospital or in other kinds of contexts, you know, they, they, you know, I think there's lots of things that you can do, actually, that, that doesn't actually, that isn't, you know, in addition to your PhD, but, but really helps you to make that leap from the, the academic dissemination to, to more impact type activities or knowledge. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I feel like, as I say, I think the key to all this is is actually is partnership, and I think just just in order to do that, it's just about talking to people and actually just listening to them. I mean, I think Les Bath is a very famous ethnographer, always talks about the, the importance of listening in ethnography, and I think that's really you know when you when you're getting data, when you're going out and doing interviews or whatever, it's spending time listening to what people are telling you, and actually you know you can build a lot from that in terms of relationships and collaborations and so on. And yeah, I mean, I think starting at those with those kinds of basic principles can you know can then lead to sort of massive impact and so on. Yeah, I think. Sorry, go that's on. okay. I was going to say that, I mean, doing this sort of, you know, doing this work and, and working with these different, you know, like with parents, with, with health professionals, with charities, you know, it's completely changed the way that I do social science research now because it's had such a profound impact on me. Uh, That's really interesting. Because, yeah, just learning. And it's not just, I mean, obviously the, the parents, you know, their accounts is incredibly sort of moving, but also the professionals. And, and some of it, despite the kind of very difficult and challenging topic, it's also life affirming the ways in which these these people care for their for their patients, for their babies, and so on. It and all of that has made me kind of see social science research differently, actually. Um, um, yeah. yeah, I think that's so interesting because I do have so many conversations with um, you know academics at all levels, really, where it's it's um, not necessarily explicit, but it feels like sometimes when when I'm you know because my role is knowledge exchange and impact and really trying to kind of encourage people to to think more about it is that this is an exercise like a tick box exercise that sits alongside the already incredibly busy days of a PhD student or an academic and and I can see that and I do think you know that some of the stuff around ref does make it feel quite instrumental but actually what I try to say to people is and certainly PhD students because I didn't have the confidence when I was a PhD student to really talk about what I was doing beyond academia because I felt that I wasn't anywhere near an expert and they would only want to listen to an expert but actually if I'd have done that based on what I know now I would have had such a stronger piece of work or, or, or a different understanding because having that conversation with someone can just 
really help. And I think I, I've started to realise that building relationships in a professional sense is absolutely no different to a friendship. It's like, you know, go and have a coffee with someone and or whatever you can at the moment. And then, you know, just have a conversation. And now I find that some of our strongest partners, I also have conversations about how they're going to revamp their living room or their holidays. And, and you know, and actually it, it just strengthens that relationship in a way that feels a bit unprofessional. I would have thought would have been unprofessional, but actually it's just being human, isn't it? It is. I mean, one of the things that sort of I always like to laugh about is that when we when we won the prize and we, you know, went to the um, award ceremony and we got to take, um, we could take a couple of stakeholders with us. So we took um, two charities. So somebody from the Lullaby Trust, which is the charity for sudden infant death. And then we took somebody from the Northeast, um, who is part of what's called Teardrop, which is, um, again, another another charity for, for baby loss, which is affiliated with SANS. Um, and they came with me and, and I remember one of them, the, the representative from Lullaby Trust actually saying to the ESRC, when I knew that I'd won the prize, she kept saying to her, it's really good working with Kate because she's really normal for an academic. ESRC <laughs> 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 thought this was really funny. They were like sort of laughing about that. But anyway, I think it's also this kind of idea that academics are not normal and, you know, that we're not, not social people. But you're right, it isn't. You know, actually, as social scientists, we, we study the social and that's at the heart of everything, isn't it? Social relationships and... And you're absolutely, right, building those, absolutely. You know, building those kind of bonds, you know, is, is kind of really important. No, I think you're absolutely right. And it still strikes me how um, unapproachable sometimes academic institutions can be or the way that, you know, I'll be having conversations and people say, oh, God, I didn't know how to prepare to talk to this academic. And they're referring to me and I think, oh, I'm not an academic. <laughs> you know, I, it's just not how I see myself. And especially in that in that kind of network building role, it's it's I really don't think that people think like that but of course they do and I think going out and approaching people and just saying can we have this chat or I'm doing this work it, it, it's you know we're all then working to sort of break down those those boundaries that I think a lot of us are trying to do and kind of stop stop working in those silos and realize that one project and that time expended in thinking about that project can produce very high quality academic work but also can produce other things beyond that and build those links and those relationships. I mean, I think there is a sort of snobbery sometimes around. I mean, I, I do often do impact talks, not just, you know, all over the place, not just at Sheffield, but other institutions. And, you know, people are quite cynical. You get you get people that will just you think, oh, it's not relevant for me. It's not academic. It's not intellectual. And I, and I kind of think that's just so ridiculous because actually doing impact is one of the most intellectual things I do because it's so yeah. stimulating. Actually, learning from other people, working with other people, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, it's so valuable. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm always on a mission to sort of challenge people's attitudes around that. Um, same here. I think we're, we, we kind of, uh, yeah, banging the same drum, really, which is, which is really encouraging. And I think, you know, uh, obviously we've stopped, you know, we, I think there's more and more of it happening. But I think that for, for PGRs and, and early career researchers, actually, just having it not only enhances or has the possibility to enhance your research, but it builds your network up. So if you're then thinking about jobs beyond academia, you might already know people who are working in organisations relevant to your field if you if you feel that kind of getting out into practice is more your thing. So I think there's there's lots of different benefits to, to really trying to make a concerted effort to to talk to people early on because it can... Yeah, I mean, it can give you, you know, it can open up, like, you know, I mean, I always think as well, I know this is, this is actually talking about undergraduate students, but one of the other things that I, 
um, you know, one of my kind of core sort of activities has always been teaching health and illness to, to undergraduate students. And when I do that, because I do bring partners in, it also students end up, one of the things that they will say on evaluation forms is actually it's giving them career ideas in the NHS that they've never thought about before. Yes, so that's it. Yeah, I think at all levels you can, you know, introducing the other, you know, work, you know, what researching or, or, or kind of talking to people in other organisations can, can open up all kinds of doors for you. Oh, absolutely. Because I think if you go back to sort of the the career advice or when you're starting to think about where you, you go beyond whatever level of schooling, you know, things like knowledge exchange and impact fellows in a university or even things like housing officers or policy research officers in, in charities and things just never fall onto the onto the agenda. So you totally learn all these different weird and wonderful positions that, that exist that don't fall into those almost neat categories. Certainly when I was at school, it was like, well, do you want to be a solicitor or do you want to be, you know... Yeah. very kind of clear packaged um career paths and yeah m- mine certainly would never have, have fallen into into any of those so it's it's good to open your eyes isn't it yeah so i could talk to you forever about <laughs> stuff like this but i realized we've kind of been nattering for, for half an hour or so so just to kind of round things up really i and uh you know fr- from your insight of what you've learned over over your years and your careers what would your sort of i don't know three top tips be to anyone who is at that kind of either starting out you know at kind of early career stage you know what would you sort of say to them if they're wanting to pursue a phd or a career similar to yours i mean i think if you want to if, you know if you want to do a phd then i mean just, just you know think about just think about it at a basic level what is the burning question that you have what do you really want to find out that's not already out there in whatever area you're interested in whether it's education or crime and deviance or health or whatever i mean just think about it in those terms i think you know think about what inspires you and and, and kind of you know and sort of just to sort of take that from there and, and then kind of look into you know places that you might want to study in departments and so on yeah i think i think now you know um I think, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, things are very difficult and, you know, increasingly so because of the pandemic, particularly for people coming out of a PhD and trying to find jobs and so on. I think the thing to do is is just to, as you say, don't close off different opportunities. I think, you know, I've always been a sort of died in the wall academic. I've always thought that's the only thing that I could do. But actually doing the impact work with my research, working with collaborators, I actually feel now that there's lots of things I could do if I didn't do this, actually, and would enjoy. (laughs) You know, there's lots of different careers. Um, And just, you know, sort of, you know, think think about a career in in that sort of way. I think if if you're really interested in academia, though, it's it's, I don't think the rules of the game have really changed. You know, it's it's Mm. about publishing. Um, you know, kind of doing your research as a PhD student, getting your thesis, doing it in a sort of timely fashion, um, you know, kind of publishing from it, If you know, as and when you can, trying to do impact work, you know, doing all these sorts of things will, will kind of help sort of support your development into into an academic career. Um, I think, you know, that's, I mean, I think that the rules around that, around academic careers have really, really sort of, you know, they're not, not really that much different to, to mm. what I for a job all those years ago I mean the emphasis is still on kind of writing and um you know and if I think as a PhD student if you're really interested in, in the teaching side of things then you know sort of you know think about getting teaching experience I know that that's that's difficult under this current <laughs> yeah um, of course yeah, yeah. Um, but at Sheffield obviously there's you know you can you can kind of look at some of our resources on the Faculty of Social Sciences um, 
portal for, for PGRs as information on, on kind of, you know, different types of, you know, things that you might want to kind of get experience on, like teaching uh, yeah. on that portal. Um, but I think actually just follow your nose and follow your passion. I would always say that regardless. I think if you really want to do it, you'll do it. Um, yeah. And, I, and I, I, I sort of firmly believe that, if you, you know, it, it might evolve, you know, if you want an academic career, there might be a few years of pain where you're doing short-term contracts or research contracts or you're doing bits of teaching for departments. But if you kind of stick to your focus, you get some good papers out, you know, you, you sort of focus on, on kind of finishing your PhD, I think I think you will, you will get there. Um, yeah. Kind of having to do that. Um, kind of, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, Kate, it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you very much for sharing your journey and experiences with us. And we will put all the links to the things that we've mentioned and the resources available in uh, in the podcast notes as well. So thank you, Kate. Okay, well, thanks for the interview. No problem. Bye. Bye.